Well, good morning, everyone. So glad to be here with you this morning. So I wrote you all a little something. You mind if I read it to you? Yeah, is that okay? Okay, even if you said no, I was still going to, so we're good. <clears throat> here it is. It was a quarter past midnight when the small group arrived to the outskirts of the city. Their armor shined and gleamed in the, in the radiant moonlight. The seal of the king firmly and prominently in the center of the chest plate. Each member, unlike the other, but similar in the most profound way. They were all sent. All ambassadors for the king. As they looked over the dark, what seemed to be unending emptiness the city walls held, a feeling of dread overtook the small band. What lay before them was brokenness. It was sorrow at its best. The only thing that kept these men and women pressing forward, even though facing potential peril, was the orders that they received from their king, whom they loved so dearly. Years prior, there was a rebellion in the kingdom this group hailed from. The people disobeyed the king's orders, and because of this, were banished from the kingdom. The king, however, in his loving kindness, sent out his son. He sent the prince to step into the rebellion to show the people the error of their ways. He was offering them a way back into the kingdom if only they would trust him. If only they would see the truth of their evil ways and repent of them. If these defectors would do this, turn from their evil ways, the king would open his arms wide and welcome them back. The problem was, even though there were some that repented of their brokenness, believed in what the prince had said, and returned to the king, a majority continued to turn their backs, not understanding the king's true heart, not understanding his deep, unending desire for harmony amongst the, the whole of the kingdom. The group took a moment before beginning the short yet ominous journey to the gates of the city. To remind each other of the mission at hand and who they serve, they in one voice proclaimed the ambassador's creed, the motto they live and would die for. We once were lost in exile, but now we are found. We were once enemies of the king, but now we are crowned. We were saved by the prince that was sent by the king, ambassadors of one, yes, his song we will sing. We are driven by this love and made new through this peace. We're driven to fight and to finish this race. Our mission is clear, it's true and concise. We serve the king by sharing his truth so others can see the light. And with that... The now reinvigorated group made their way to the dark, broken city to share the truth, no matter the cost. So this story I wrote probably sounds pretty familiar to all of you, but it's not just a mere story of a king and a prince and the people. This is exactly what we're going to be going through with chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. And I pray as we go through this, you'll see the, similarity, the similarities in the story I just shared. I, I pray that in your mind, you'll piece it together. You'll put it all together, and you'll walk away not only relating to the ambassadors and their creed, but living it out. So two weeks ago, I had the immense pleasure of opening the word with all of you uh, in the first part of this section, which was chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. And if you missed that sermon, I would highly encourage you to go back and check it out. Not because I preached it, but just because the passage itself is so beautiful. 
In these verses, they broke down into one singular word, and that is compelled. Compelled. Paul was passionately laying out that that this is the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is what compels us. What he did for us is what drives us. And today, um, I again have the honor to open the word with all of you. And we, we get to finish this small section that is so profound. Um, and it continues through with this thought of being compelled. So last week I asked you two questions. Number one was, what is it that compels you? Number two was, knowing what compels you, what does it tell you about your relationship with the Lord? So today, as we go through these verses, I want you to keep these two questions in your mind, but I have two more to add to the list. Number one, or technically number three, understanding what compels you, what's next? What's next? What should you do with this drive? What do you do with this information? Knowing what compels you, what are you doing with it? And then number four, How does reconciliation play into this compelling force? And what does it actually actually mean for us here and now? So now, as per usual, uh, we're going to take a few minutes just to recap everything that we've talked about uh, so far so we can understand what's coming up next. So Paul, as you have all heard before, is writing to the church of Corinth, um, and he's been pleading with them. He's been pleading with them not to follow the false teachings of the Judaizers. Because these false teachers, they've been going around spreading lies about Paul and the ministry and what he had been sharing. They were saying that he and the ministry were just a sham because of his lack of status. Look at this guy. He's been shipwrecked, beaten, bruised. There's no way what he's saying is accurate. There's no way he's an apostle of Jesus Christ because look at him. He is so messed up. As we've seen, this concept runs throughout the book along with a handful of different things, exhortations, encouragements, counsel for the church. And all these things are tied together with the one main thought Paul's trying to get across to this wayward church. And that is, what is it that compels you? What is it that compels him? What compels the Corinthian church? What compels us as believers here and now? For these people in their culture and their society, a huge compulsion, a huge driving force was status, as we talked about two weeks ago. Losing sight of the one and only thing that should truly drive them. And all while, in the process of all this, they're questioning that Paul is even accurate. Like I said, that he's even telling the truth. And then Paul throws down this beautiful truth, this one thing, this one driving force that should be compelling us, and that is the love of Christ, the love of Jesus. And that brings us into our our verses for this morning. If you want to talk about Paul giving us a nice little package of everything we need to know about living our lives, why we live our lives, and the way we should live our lives, it's just right here. It's it's in this nice little box in these verses. And what we're about to dive into it goes deeper into why we are compelled. How it's possible for us to even have this compulsion, this drive, and then application of what we're supposed to do with it. 
On that note, let's pray, and then we'll get into these verses. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you so grateful, so thankful for who you are and all that you've done for us. God, thank you for this section of scripture. Thank you for just the, the perfect uh, way you put it together so we could see everything so clearly. God, I pray as we go through this that you would open minds, you would change hearts, change lives, and I pray we would not leave this room without knowing you more clearly and desiring to go out and tell others about you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting off in verse 16 this morning, which says this, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, as we've said so, so many times, we have to always look back when we see a therefore. If you haven't noticed, Paul says therefore a lot, like a lot, a lot. If you read any of the other books Paul has written, it's Therefore, for, 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 therefore, therefore. And it's, a great, it's awesome because it helps us as we're reading it to look backwards to understand what's coming. But it just adds a little bit more that we have to think through in the process. So the therefore here is pointing back to uh, verse 15 that we talked about two weeks ago. It says this, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So because we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. We're now living compelled by love. We're alive in Christ. Instead of regarding people by worldly measures, we need to regard them by spiritual measures. Paul now sees people in their standing with Christ. He sees people as fellow image bearers. Looking at the world around him, he makes the point that he lives differently and sees them differently. With this new lens, there's a desire for reconciliation. There's a desire to be more like Christ, acting like Christ in all we do since we're made new. We're a new creation. Not living like the world, not living like we used to. So we no longer see the world in the flesh or from our flesh. Before being captured by Christ, Paul was only focused on flesh categories. If you look at Philippians 3, 5 through 8, it says this. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Prior to Jesus... Paul was focused on the, on the fleshly external things. He was focused on education, on family, on tradition. 
But knowing the beauty of the truth and who Jesus is, Paul now sees the world completely different. Which brings us into the next part of this verse. It says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So before coming to know the Lord, there's a plethora of different ways that the world views Jesus. I'm sure most of you have heard a majority of these. Number one, he's a good man, right? Yeah, I know about that Jesus guy. He was good. He was a good guy. I don't think he's like anything other than that, but he's a good guy. He was a wise prophet. Another one, he was insane. He was a liar. I love um, the C.S. Lewis quote, um, and I don't have it written down, so if, if I say it wrong, then you'll, you can correct me later. But C.S. Lewis said, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or who he said he was, which is God. So before his conversion, Paul saw Jesus in the flesh in every way. In fact, he saw him in the flesh so much that he wanted to kill him. Not just Jesus, he wanted to kill everyone that had anything to do with him. That's how much he saw him in the flesh. But since we know what we know, and all that was said previously, we no longer regard Jesus in the flesh, but as spiritual. When you see him as God, when you truly see him for who he is, and what he did for you, it fully changes perspectives. Now this right here, it does not negate in any way all that he did as a man. Because Jesus still had to deal with temptation. He still had to live the perfect life through all of the pain. But this makes us see him differently. It makes us see him as fully man, fully God. And once we understand this, once we see the severity of our sin, of our imperfection, the penalty of sin, we, we want to share this. We want to share this love that compels us with anyone and everyone that we come in contact with. Not only do we no longer see our fellow brothers and sisters in the flesh any longer, no longer do we see Christ in the flesh any longer, but we should also see the, low, the, the lost, broken world differently as well. So Jen and I, we've been keeping bags of food and whatnot in our cars for a while now. Just, uh, and I know actually a lot of you do that too. It's pretty cool. Um, and the reason that we do that is if we see anyone while we're driving down the road, you drive past Timnath Walmart or you're going downtown Fort Collins and you see someone that's homeless that's in need, we want to make sure that we can help them in some way that we, that we can or in any way that we can. But there is, however, one issue that I can see coming out of this for any of us that do this. And that is if we get to the place of focusing on the temporal needs and not the spiritual if we, only, if we just hand out food and we don't share about this, this incredible good news that will truly satisfy, the living water that will actually quench their thirst, we're doing them a huge disservice. We need to stop looking at the world in the context of just 
the flesh and open our eyes to the spiritual needs all around us. Yes, we want to help people take care of people. As we studied James previously, when it talks about uh, faith without works is dead, it's saying like both of them play together, right? You don't just want to walk up to someone and say, hey, peace be with you. Go in peace. Jesus loves you. And not actually help them. They both fit together. They play together. But the number one thing we should think about is the spiritual. Because this life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's so short. On the line of eternity, it's a dot. So as Christians, we should care about the needs of others, especially their eternal need. We need to get to the heart of where people are at spiritually. Uh, the example I'm consistently using with my students is zombies. Now, please, please don't shut down just yet. <laughs> I promise it'll make sense. <clears throat> so in any and every zombie show, movie, whatever, you can see a rampant sickness that has caused people to turn into these things, this walking dead or whatever you want to call it. And the only way to save the world is through a cure or an antidote, or whatever, something. So in, in these scenarios, you can't look at these people as normal humans anymore, but as dead, broken vessels. So in the scenario I use, I say, okay, everybody, we've discovered this cure. We have the antidote. And the only way to fix the broken, dying world is to share the cure. So the question is, are, are you going to be brave enough to share the antidote? As a believer, we have to open our eyes and see the spiritually dead world all around us. We have the cure. We have the antidote, and that is being the good news of Jesus Christ. Are we moved to go? Are we compelled to throw ourselves out into the scary brokenness for the sake of life, for the sake of people being made alive? It's important that we realize that Paul is um, not necessarily, as I said before, talking only to the way we as believers view the lost, but also the way we as believers view other brothers and sisters as well. How we work together with others that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I think that this is important because we can't be lone wolf Christians out there on our own doing this. We, we are that band. We are that small group. We need to be together, work together. And if we're fighting and arguing and, and not living our lives, that, that reconciled life, it throws off the whole balance of everything. We need to be working together for the sake of this good news, for the sake of the gospel. So when we start seeing the world around us spiritually and not in the flesh, the way we act, the way we, we respond, and the way we think changes. Instead of holding grudges against a brother or sister, we, we want to seek to work through the issues. Now, do any of us do this perfectly? No, never. We, we just, we're not perfect. We can't do it. But the thing is, is a heart shift, a mind shift the desire for reconciliation, the desire for change. Because of this love that compels us, we see the world and fellow believers in a different light. Which brings us into 17 that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So this is a callback to everything said up to this point from 14 down. Therefore, the love of Christ compels because he died for all. He was the perfect sacrifice. All have died to the old self and are made alive in him if we believe in him. He died for all. We no longer live like, live like we did in our sin, but we're walking in a new life. We don't see those around us as we used to, but we see them spiritually. We see people from a spiritual lens rather than one of flesh. We don't see Jesus as flesh, but spiritual. We see God. Because of all this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So looking at the verse that we talked about in 2 Corinthians, there are two words that might seem small in, in what's being said, but in actuality there's deep theology built into it. And the words are, in Christ. In Christ. So one of the commentaries I was going through, it gave three points that I thought were pretty great explaining these two words. Number one, in him we know we are secure because he took the full wrath of God for our sins. Number two, in him we are accepted because he is the only one God is well pleased. Number three, in him we have full assurance of the future. Again, so much wrapped up in this. In him, we are secure, we are accepted, and we have assurance. So this creates an even further compulsion, a further drive and understanding of this immense love of Christ. We're not just beside him or behind him. We are in Christ. So I have a, a visual for all of you. See, last night, the, the Play-Doh wouldn't come out of its container, so we'll see how it works today. Um, I came up with this a few years ago for student ministry, and it's just something that when I came up with it, it just like clicked. It helped me to even understand this more clearly. This is us before Jesus. This is us, this little ball of Play-Doh. It looks so sad all by itself over here. This little ball of Play-Doh is us before Jesus. This is Jesus' blood. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Jesus is not behind us or next to us or in front of us or in a circle. He is in us. He is a part of us. Now, this ball of Play-Doh, can you ever get the red out of the yellow ever again? Oh, you could try, but it's not possible. This is, this is one giant mound of Play-Doh now. And I love this example because this is us now. We are a new creation. We are a new creation in Jesus. He is in us. We are made new with him. And he is never leaving us. In him, the old is gone. We are a new creation. I actually have... I know, every sermon I have to talk about some tattoo of some sort. Um, I have this tattoo on my hand. It's in the Greek. It's zoopoieo, which means to be made alive in Christ. Or 
the exact translation is to be reanimated conjointly. I love that. Reanimated, remade conjointly. That's exactly what happened with that Plato right there. We're a new creation. And this is also this is a beautiful phrase, this new creation, because it gives us the opportunity to see true forgiveness of sins. We're made new. A new creation, we have new eyes. We have a new heart. We have a new mind. Eyes that no longer see the flesh, but the spiritual. A heart compelled by this love. And a new mind desiring to not be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's Romans 12 too. Now to this point, verse 14 through 17, have been Christ-centered. And we're about to get into 18 through 21, which are theocentric or God-centered. So 5, 14 through 17 showed us implications of Christ's death, which brings about new creation with a new direction, changing the way that we work with others, the way we think, um, and just the way we think about the world in general. Now, 18 through 21 will be what God has done in Christ with the image of reconciliation bringing us into verse 18 that says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's 18 and 19. So these verses not only sum up everything that's been said up to this point, but also points out how it's possible and the application behind it. All that was said previously, everything we talked about, is from God. It's from the Father. The precious gift of Jesus, the sacrifice he made, was from the Father. All of this God did through Jesus, reconciling us to himself. So I think it's important that we we point out the us here. So Paul, speaking to the believing Corinthians, is making the point that they, those who already believe, were brought back into harmony. This immeasurable love that compels us is rooted in the Father that made it possible by sending Jesus. So that we, I want to say that right there again, so that we could be reconciled to him. It feels almost impossible to think of, of the words to use to describe this verse and what's trying to get across. So the dictionary definition of reconciled is to restore friendship or harmony. So as we talked about two weeks ago, this, this idea of God reconciling us, creating harmony between us, it, honestly, it makes no sense. We are messed up human beings. Adam and Eve sinned and fell, creating a chasm between us and God. We lost that harmony that was there in the garden. We lost that friendship. We were disconnected from our creator. But God, in his unfathomable love and kindness, gave Jesus so that we could be back in harmony with him, in friendship with him, that we could be reconciled with him. The thing with this reconciliation, however, is I feel like the dictionary definition doesn't even get close to doing it justice. 
Because not only did the Father send Jesus to die for our sins, if we believe in him, we can be back in that harmony. He also took it 10 steps further by not restoring us to just friends, but to sons and daughters. If Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life, you have been adopted. You're not just a friend, you are adopted. You've been justified, which is the legal action. You're no longer held responsible for your previous actions. It's hard to comprehend. With all the messed up stuff I've done in my life, to think that because of my relationship with Jesus, that I'm set free, that I've been justified, that I'm adopted when I deserve nothing. The last part of this verse is, is wonderful because it takes the guesswork out of what we're called to do. It just lays it out there for us. It says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God gave it all. Through the blood of Christ, we are reconciled. Because of Christ's love for us, we are compelled. Then we're called. Understanding what was done, being driven by this love to share the good news of reconciliation... That's, that's it. That's what drives us. In the, the love of Christ drives us so we go out and do this. It's not just enough to know what God did for you. It's not just enough to, to be compelled by what God did for us. It's not enough unless there's a response behind it. If you only know the truth, even know you're compelled by the truth, but don't share this truth, you're missing a massive piece to the puzzle. This takes us full circle to what I was talking about previously with the zombie analogy. We have the antidote. We have the cure. We're compelled to see people saved. But if we don't go out and share it, no change will happen. In fact, if you resonate with what we've talked about in this book, but aren't sharing the ministry of reconciliation we have because of what God did, you need to question if you're actually compelled by the love of Christ. That would be a good indicator that you're not compelled by the love of Christ if you're not sharing this ministry of reconciliation. Because this ministry of reconciliation, of bringing back harmony and peace, it's at the core. Um, Pendulet is a well-known atheist, and he said this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them, uh, telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize, and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you and, that is more, and this is more important than that. This quote has always hit me hard. And after studying these incredible verses, 
being reminded of what it is that compels me, being the love of Christ. I also have to remember the ministry we've been given because of all this. Remembering that we should be living our lives for the sake of the gospel, living our lives to honor the Lord. Our lives as a new creation, seeing the world spiritually and going out with this ministry of reconciliation. Don't we want to see the dead made alive? Don't we want to see the old made made new? Because if we do, if we're compelled by this love of Christ, we'll also see this ministry we've been been given, and we will go out and we will share it. Desiring that the world know of this harmony that can be between God and man. And it only exists because of what God did through Christ. So in the next couple verses, we're going to see this reconciled word four more times. And each time I want you to think about the magnitude of the word and what it actually represents. So looking back at 19 again, we see a a reiteration of what Paul had just said, but just a little deeper than 18 put it. And that is, that is, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So that is, or in other words, in Christ, Again, those two little words, meaning so much. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. God created a way for the chasm to be closed between himself and man. This message of reconciliation is the antidote for everyone. I love the way that Paul reiterated this verse because there's slight variations in it that make a big difference. So in verse 18, he says, God reconciled us to himself through Jesus. Paul, speaking to believing Corinthians, is making the point that they, those who believe, have been reconciled, brought back into harmony, as we talked about. Here in 19, he says, reconciled the world to himself. The world. A verse that um, I think everyone knows, but I'm going to share it anyway. John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. Jesus died for the world, and God brought us back into a relationship with himself through this. But it doesn't end there. He adds that not only did God do this to reconcile the world, he says, not holding their trespasses against them. This world we live in, like I said before, is messed up, it's broken, it's sinful. But Jesus, as this verse says, died to fix the brokenness of the world. So if anyone confesses with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Romans 10.9. God sent Jesus for our sake, and if we believe in what he did, understanding this love, we are saved. When we see this love on display, we desire to confess our sins because we know he is faithful and just to forgive those sins, 1 John 1, 9, because they were taken care of on the cross. We need to understand the intensity of what this actually means. Jesus died for you. When you understand this, confess the brokenness, understand the need for a Savior, you're set free, you're made alive, you're a new creation then living compelled by this, we desire to go out and share it. 
which is what Paul reiterates at the end of this verse, entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Twice he says this. We see from verse 18, we've been reconciled, those of us that believe, but also the world as we see in 19. Therefore, we must take this knowledge of reconciliation. We must take it to the world so they too can understand this beautiful truth, which brings us into verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So as I said at the very beginning, Paul gives us the full all-in-one bundle of how we're supposed to live our lives and why as Christians. It's kind of like progressive insurance commercials. I'm sure all of you have seen something. But instead of insurance bundle, it's the bundle of assurance. (laughs) Sorry about that one. (laughs) Anyway, verse 20 gives us continued application for going out into the world. And it's another firm push for the wayward Corinthians to have harmony with God. Showing Paul's understanding that some of them have not truly put their faith and trust in Jesus. But his push here, because of what was just said about having this ministry of reconciliation, that we are ambassadors of this truth. If you look at the definition of ambassador, it's an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. This is such a clear example that this world is not our home. We know if we put our faith and trust in Jesus that our true home is with him is with him in the kingdom for eternity. But as for now, we're ambassadors for the kingdom on foreign soil. Which brings me back to my story at the very beginning. Told you it would all tie together at some point. We are in the small group outside the kingdom walls in a foreign place. Sharing the good news of the king we serve and the kingdom we're from. We have the position to share with the masses that, yes, they were exiled from the kingdom. But the king in his kindness has made a way for them to come back. The prince came with the invitation to come back. Psalm 34, 8 says, Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Be reconciled to the king. We're messengers making the appeal of the king on his behalf. Be reconciled to the king. Which brings us to our last verse, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So after all we've talked about, this verse should give us goosebumps. It's the culmination of everything. It puts the whole story together. The king sending the perfect prince to be the perfect sacrifice, fully man, fully God, took the full wrath of God for our sake. For you and I, the king did what he did. The reason we're so compelled by this love, the reason we take the mantle of an ambassador going into the darkness is because he did all of this for us. And in honoring him, understanding all this, we can't help but share this ministry of reconciliation, no matter how scary it might be. On top of it, grand finale of these verses, not only was this done for us, but it was done for us for a profound purpose, so that we might be the righteousness of God. We, on this planet, until we go back home to our kingdom, will never be be perfect. 
In fact, it's impossible to be perfect. This being the case, God had to send the perfect prince. And if we believe in what he did and we give it all to him, he stands in front of us before God. He imputed his righteousness to us. This is the great exchange. He took all of our sin, all of it, past, present, future, everything you have ever done, and clothed us in his righteousness, all for his glory that we could be back in a relationship with him. This is the final push for what compels us right here. This seals the deal on it. To fully grasp this, we have to look at it in the breakdown one more time, just to, to see it clearly. The love of Christ compels us because he died for all. He was the perfect sacrifice. All have died to the old self and are made alive in him if we believe in him. He died for all. We no longer live like we did in our sin, but are now walking in new life. We don't see those around us as we used to, but we see them spiritually. We don't see Jesus as flesh, but spiritual. We see God. Because of all this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All of this God did through Jesus, reconciling us to himself. And if we've been given, and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, we are ambassadors of this truth. We live our lives differently, see the world differently. For our sake, God sent Jesus, that we might be his righteousness and back in a right relationship. That's a whole lot of truth in a couple verses. Knowing this as ambassadors, we go out. Sharing this so others might know the king too. So as we close, um, I want to take us back to the questions I asked at the beginning. What compels you? Knowing what compels you, what does your relationship with the Lord look like? Understanding what compels you, what's next? And then number four, how does reconciliation play into this? I pray after going through these verses, you would take the time to truly ask yourself these questions again. Seeing the, the big picture, the whole story, what compels you? Do you understand what God did for you through Christ? And what are you doing with this information? Are you, ambassador? are you an ambassador on top of the hill ready to share for the king? Are you willing to step into the broken darkness to share with the dead souls all around? Are you hiding? Are you scared? And it's, that's easy to do. I feel like we've all been there at some level. It's easy to hide, to be scared by pray after going through this that you would be compelled to go out. Believer, I pray this morning that you would walk out of here remembering that you're an ambassador. Remembering that this is not your home. Living by the ambassador's creed. We were once lost in exile, but now we are found. We were once enemies of the king, but now we are crowned. We were saved by the prince that was sent by the king, ambassadors of one. Yes, his song we will sing. We are driven by his love and made new through this peace. We are driven to fight and finish this race. Our mission is clear, it's true and concise. We serve the king by sharing his truth so others can see the light. If you sit here today not believing, not understanding, not caring, I pray that this would run through your mind day and night until you understand. I pray you would see this right here as the moment that you ran into an ambassador of the king who shared the truth of the prince that he sent. I pray we would all, as I said two weeks ago, live compelled.
Let's pray. God, you are so good. Um, thank you again for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word. God, I pray that you would use these verses to change hearts, change lives, and that we would all leave here compelled by your love this morning. So love you and praise you in Jesus' name.